And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is my Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I love Luke 12. I love this text. My friend Jeff, he's a missionary church planner in New Jersey. He challenged me about two years ago to memorize this text with him. Because I don't know if you're anything like me. There's really not a month, let alone a week or a day that goes by that I don't struggle with worry, anxiety, and fear. So I I need Luke 12, okay? It's been refreshing to to hear this sermon every day in my house the last few days. Because I need Luke 12. I need to preach it to myself just about every day of my life. And Jesus' disciples weren't a lot different from us. Jesus' disciples... They weren't immune to fear. They're they're not immune to anxiety. They, They weren't immune to worry. A lot of you, this is a major struggle for you. You're always worrying and struggling with anxiety and you're afraid of all these different things going on around you. Well, then you're in good company with Jesus' disciples. Let me be clear. Unless you're a Christian, the application falls short. Jesus is speaking here to his disciples. He's speaking here to believers. And and if you're not a Christian, I would call you and urge you to repent of your sins and to place your faith 
in Jesus as Savior and bow your knee to him as Lord to stop running and get things squared away with him right now. But this is for disciples. His disciples struggle with fear. They struggle with worry. They struggle with anxiety. So Jesus says, you don't need to. You don't need to be worrying about what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat. I I, I know that. I'm going to take care of you. And Jesus is going to introduce a series of arguments from the greater to the lesser or from the stronger to the lesser. You're going to see this. It's, It's a series of arguments. He's going to mention three different things. He's going to mention birds, lilies, grass as he tries to show his disciples something bigger than their fear, worry, and anxiety. So here's the first thing he says. He says, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. He feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? The imagery is of one farmer in his field sowing, later on reaping the harvest. Taking the harvest, putting it in a storehouse or a barn. Because that's what you do. But the birds don't. And they manage just fine. They manage just fine. He takes care of the birds. They don't sow They don't reap. They don't have a storehouse. They don't have a barn. And yet, he takes care of them. He provides for them. And you're more valuable than the birds. So it stands to reason, since you're more valuable than the birds, that he's going to take care of you too. So you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to worry. You don't have to be anxious. He continues on. He says, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? Of all the moments, of all the minutes, of all the hours of your life that you spend worrying and fretting about different things, does it do anything productive? The answer is no. It can't so much as add an hour, let alone a minute, to your Span of life. It's futile. It's kind of silly. I met Chandler. I saw this. It was on an Instagram photo from the Gospel Coalition. He said, 20,000 years from now, you're going to feel pretty silly for all the time you spent worrying about all the things going on in your life right now. There's no point doesn't bring about anything productive whatsoever. So, if that's true, verse 26, if then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? And we are. Why are you anxious about the rest? If if you can't even bring about an extra hour to your lifespan, why do you spend so much time worrying? Jesus tells his disciples. And we do. The point? There's nothing productive that comes from worrying and being afraid and being anxious. Nothing productive. Like, there's there's no point. 
No point. Okay, it's, it's like the true story. It's like the guy who, you know, he asked the girl if she wants to hang out. And she says, oh, sorry, you, uh, yeah, I, I can't. I uh, have to play video games with my roommate today. So, yeah, sorry about that. You know, it's like the guy, another true story. These are all about me, by the way. <laughs> but it worked out. Yeah, yeah. It's the guy after a psych class. He says, the girl sitting next to him in the sister dorm, hey, do you want to go grab a bite to eat with me? And she says, oh, no, sorry. I, my, my grandmother made me some soup, and I, I probably should go back to my dorm room and, and eat that. You know, it's like, it's like you're not even getting off the runway. You're getting shot down. I mean, just like, there's no points, right? Like, abandon ship. Like, don't, don't, don't bother. You know, it's like the guy who, who pulls me aside. He's like, hey, look at that, look at that fine girl over there. You think I got a sh- chance with her? And I'm like, no, that's my wife, so probably not. <laughs> there's no point, right? When you worry, when you're anxious, when you're afraid, that's the point. Doesn't do anything. Doesn't do it. Can't even bring an hour to your span of life. Nothing beneficial. Nothing productive. As Chandler says, 20,000 years from now, you're going to be feeling pretty silly about all the energy and effort in your life that you spent being afraid. You spent worrying. You spent being anxious. And so he continues. Started with birds, moves on to lilies. Consider the lilies. How they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Consider the lilies. My mom lives out in Olympia, Washington. Any Washingtonians in here? No, just my wife. (laughs) Lake St. Clair isn't too far away. In the warmer months, I like to swim there. In the cooler months, to kayak or canoe on the lake. But Lake St. Clair has lots of lilies. Lots of lilies. Certain times of the year, they'll have little flower blossoms emerge. And and they're just awesome. They're just hanging out, being lilies. (laughs) Consider the lilies. Picture them. Picture the lily. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They don't toil, they don't spin, they don't, they don't do anything to make themselves how they are. They just are. And then Jesus draws us to Solomon, the wisest, wealthiest king ever to live. If you're not familiar with Solomon, let me draw your attention to 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 4. Just listen. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, and the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no more breath in her. And she said to the king, the report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom, but I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpassed the report that I heard. Solomon, 
all the wealth, all the influence, all the power, all the resources anyone could ever hope to attain, even on his best day, he couldn't compare to lilies. Much like the birds who don't sow or reap, they're just birds, they have food somehow, they just manage the lilies. They're not trying to, to look fly, they just are. <laughs> right? They, they, they just are, they're lilies. And, and, and no matter no matter how much energy or effort that Solomon might put into his appearance, how he looks, can't compare with the lilies. Some of us, application, some of you worry way too much about clothes. Now, clothes are good, okay? Clothes are good. But there's a fine line between, okay, I need clothes to wear, and it is consuming me. My time in the mirror, my time shopping, how I worry about how people will see me or view me, it is consuming. He takes care of lilies. They're beautiful. They do just fine on their own. Somehow, some way, they manage because God cares about lilies. Some of you, this may be an idol in your life that you need to seriously repent of. God takes care of lilies. God clothes the lilies. They're less valuable than birds. He takes care of birds. Birds are less valuable than you. Then it stands to reason he's going to take care of you. You don't have to worry. You don't have to be anxious. You don't have to be afraid all the time. And then he moves on to grass. Grass. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. In first century Palestine, if you were going to heat up a stove and cook on it, one of the things you would use, not, not wood, but grass. That's the imagery there, right? The grass is here, alive in the field today, tomorrow is thrown into the oven. Why? Because that would be something commonly used. Throw in the oven as kindling to get that fire going. Grass is pretty insignificant. It doesn't really matter what century you live in. Cows eat it. We mow it. It's just grass. It's just grass. And yet he takes care of the grass. He clothes Grass. It's less valuable than lilies. Takes care of the lilies. Less valuable than birds. Takes care of the birds. You're more valuable than the birds. Then it stands to reason he's going to take care of you. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to worry all the time and stress yourselves out. You don't have to let anxiety dominate your life. Because he takes care of the birds, the lilies, and the grass. But here's the challenge. The challenge is the world. And the world is pulling us in a million different directions. 
And the world is saying, find your happiness. Find your joy. Find your security in everything other than Christ. Right? You worried about not having food? Get more food. You worried not about not having the clothes or the, the right clothes? Slippery slope there. Just get more. You worried about someone breaking into your house? Just get a security system or a gun or a deadbolt or, or whatever it is. You worried about being lonely? Get a relationship. Now these things, truthfully, aren't inherently bad. It's not sinful things. They can become sinful. John Piper often says, the devil is mainly about good things. Why? Because you can see the bad things from a mile away. Bad. There's a bad thing. He's mainly about the good things to keep us from the best thing. And the world is saying, find your hope, find your joy, find your security, right? And everything other than the Lord. Jesus is saying, no, don't do that. Don't, don't do that. Next verse. 29, and do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things. And your Father knows that you need them. He knows you need them. He knows you need food. He knows you need clothes. He knows that. It's not a surprise to him. So this is how the world tells you. You're, you're afraid? Afraid of being lonely? Just get that relationship. You're afraid of not having enough money? Just get more money. You're afraid of this? Get that other thing. Seek after that other thing. That's, that's, that's their solution to this. And I'm here and I'm saying, don't do it. Don't buy into it. Oh, it's tempting. You're not the only one that's tempted. And I'm here saying, there's something better. You see some of these people with these church t-shirts. There's the phrase, Christian hedonism on the back of it. Very provocative phrase. Definitely will start some conversations. People say, what does that even mean? Honestly, the short definition is on your bulletin every single week. A f- almost 400-year-old ancient creed from the 1647 Shorter Westminster Catechism. Perhaps you haven't even noticed it every week. Right there on your bulletin, that's, that's what I mean. It says, for the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. An ancient, nearly 400-year-old creed. Super biblical, super awesome. See, everybody treasures something. And the point... As Lewis would tell you, he'd say, we glorify what we enjoy. Right? We glorify what we enjoy. It doesn't matter. We talk about our favorite music. We glorify it. Talk about our brand new car. We glorify it, right? The 18-year-old freshman taking a selfie with his new girlfriend from college for a weekend, right? (laughs) You laugh. We know. So, so what's the point? The point is, don't chase after those things. So the world says, find your joy, find your happiness, find your security in food and clothing and relationships and whatever else. And Jesus says, find it in me, the source of all infinite joy. 
And it's when you do that that you glorify God. For the chief end of man is to glorify God. How do we glorify him? When we enjoy him, when we treasure him more than anything else. These things, let me be clear, they're not sinful. They can be, but they're not inherently of themselves. They become sinful when we chase after them in such a way that we use them to fix that problem of fear, worry, and anxiety instead of placing our hope and faith in Christ alone. So this is what Jesus tells us. Verse 31, he says, Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Seek his kingdom. Don't be chasing after all this stuff. Seek his kingdom. Seek his kingdom. You say, what does that mean? Well, more about, more about that in a moment. He's going to explain that in verses 33 and 34. And then we come to verse 32, perhaps I think the, the biggest verse here, at least the one that we're going to spend the most time unpacking and squeezing out this truth. It says, fear not, little flock. Now, I should say this before I even begin to exegete the text. <sighs> Many of you have experienced perhaps some of the, I don't know, You've had these conversations, right? You're, you're afraid, you're, you're doubting, you're, you're having worries, you're having anxieties. And so oftentimes the biblical advice that we receive is, don't worry, just have more faith. And it's unfortunate. Um, I, I heard some chuckles, and, and you know it's true, because someone's probably said that to you at some point. It's unfortunate because the problem really starts in many of our churches at the local church level, and because... We, we haven't prepared our people for the challenging realities that they're going to face. We're, we're more focused on them coming in here and having a comedy show. Maybe some of you guys are new tonight. You're like, I'm waiting for the pastor to tell a joke. Might be a while, guys. But if you want to hear giant truths of the Bible, that will be your anchor when the storm comes against your ship, when it's being tossed around, well, then you're in the right place. But I hear it, right? You're afraid? You're feeling anxious? Just don't. Just just have more faith. I'm like, is that the best we have to offer people? Is that, is that it? Like, you know, I'm like, it's just so cheap. Like, I'm like, is that coming like a, prescri- am I going to need a prescription or is that over the counter? Like, is that, a, is that a liquid form or pill form? Because that just is like the worst ever. Hope you're not charging for that. But that's often what we hear in our biblically illiterate society today. This, as I have often said, this Disneyland version of Christianity that we live in. Jesus does not give his disciples some cheap antidote to their worry, fear, and anxiety. What Jesus does for his disciples, for their fear, is he is focused on showing them something bigger than their fear. He's focused on showing them something bigger than their anxiety. So he says, fear not, little flock. Now, it's a strange thing to say, right? Oftentimes people say, don't be afraid. You're like, should I be afraid? Like, I wasn't until you said that. So like, what's going, fear not, little flock. Like, that's kind of making me afraid when I hear that. What are we to do with that statement? Why does he call him a flock? Well, think about a flock for a moment. What's, what's a flock? But flock is, is sheep. And, and what are sheep? Well, they're kind of insignificant. They're, they're small. They're sometimes foolish, make bad choices. 
And naturally the sheep are afraid. They need a shepherd. He says, why, why does he call him little flock? Well, he calls him little flock because it's true. You see, if we feel big and bad and strong and in charge, we're not afraid. That's why he says, fear not little flock, not fear not little Tyrannosaurus Rex. <laughs> fear not little flock. He says it because it's true, because his disciples are prone to be afraid. They're scared. They're worried. He says it's because it's true. But the implication here is this, and this is important. If they are sheep, then there must be a shepherd. And what are shepherds? Well, shepherds know all about the sheep. They know what the sheep are going through. They know the challenges of the sheep. They know the challenges. They know the struggles. The shepherd knows the hurts and the pains. Some of you which have experienced even this last week. Nobody else knows about it. You haven't told anybody. But the shepherd knows. Right? The shepherd knows his flock. The shepherd's like, all right, I got this sheep right here. That's a good looking sheep. Right? I got this sheep over here on crutches. Like this sheep, he needs to be more careful. I got to watch over this sheep, right? <laughs> got this sheep right here. This sheep needs a haircut. We got to trim that later. But the shepherd knows the flock, knows the challenges, knows what they're going through. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You have a father who loves and cares for you. But I realize that that imagery is lost on many of you. It's hard for some of you to imagine what that's like. And I took Diana to my native Alaska last month. No Alaskans in here, I imagine. No, no Alaskans. <laughs> took Diana to Alaska. Took her to, to meet my dad. Hadn't seen my dad in five years. Come in the kitchen. He's standing there. I said, Dad, it's good to see you. Go up, give him a hug. He just stands there like a statue. Next day, I go in, talk to him. I said, Dad, how's your day going? How was work? He says, how, how, how do you think it's going, Joe? I said, that's, that's why I asked, Dad. He says, work, Joe. You could hear the belittling tone in his voice. It's work. Do you not understand that? Do you not get that, Joe? Do you not? What's wrong with you, Joe? Some of you are like, oh, I think we have the same dad. Your dad, maybe not so much of a nice guy, and that's putting it real nice. For some of you, your dad is physically abusive. Emotionally abusive. Sexually abusive. So for some of you, when you think about this father pictured in here, there's a little bit of a disconnect. So I want to help you through that. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Not sell, give. Not trade, give. It's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Like it makes his day to give. He loves to give. Doesn't do it begrudgingly. It makes his day. It's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Not, notice, not every single thing you want, but the very best thing in the universe that he can. The kingdom. Entry 
into the kingdom himself, the source of all infinite joy. And he does so at great cost to his son. Not a cheap gift at all. A very expensive gift. And it makes his day to give you the kingdom. You have a shepherd who knows your challenges. The good, the bad, he knows what's going on. You have a father who loves and cares for his children. But there's another implication there. If there's a kingdom, then there's got to be a king. And what are kings? But they're, they're strong, and they're powerful, and they're authoritative, and they can get things done. And that's, that's good news for little sheep who are prone to worry, prone to be foolish, that get scared. That's, that's good news to know that we have a shepherd who knows our challenges, that we have a father who loves and cares for us, gives us the, the very best thing himself, and he does so at great cost to his son, and that we have a king who's strong and powerful and can get things done. Therefore, no fear. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to let anxiety have its way in your life, and yet the temptation is... In those moments, to look back at the world and say, man, that looks mighty good. And Jesus says, don't do that. All the nations of the world, they seek after these things. They chase after these things. Don't do it. Don't do it. Instead, remember what he said in 31, seek his kingdom and all these things will be added to you. So what does it mean to seek his kingdom? Well, he tells us in verse 33, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old and with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Where no thief approaches and no moth destroys for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. There's two types of treasures. There's earthly treasures. There's eternal treasures. One has far greater reward than the other. Earthly treasures, well, they're prone to damage, to being destroyed. Uh, They don't necessarily have the greatest shelf life. But eternal treasures, wow. Now that's, that's something else. Let me be clear once again. Earthly treasures aren't sinful. They just become sinful when we hold on too tightly to them. You say, how do I seek his kingdom? That's, that's what he told me to do in verse 31. How do, how do I seek his kingdom? How, how am I, if I'm not supposed to be like that, right? How do I, how do I, what, what do I do? What's the other thing? How does seeking the kingdom happen? And the answer is, by being the type of person that is characterized by the generosity of our Father. That's that's how you do it. That's That's how you do it. By being the type of person that's characterized by the generosity of the Father. See, it's not wrong to hold on to earthly treasures. It just becomes wrong when we are holding on to them like this, open hand, and instead we hold on to them like this. That's when it becomes wrong. 
And that's what the world tells us, right? You worried about being lonely? You hang on to that relationship. Whether it's good or bad, you hold on to that. You worried about not having enough money? Oh, you hold on to that. That will be your joy. That will be your happiness. That will be your security. You don't let that go. And so on and so forth. It's not wrong to have earthly treasures. It just becomes wrong when we don't hold on to them the right way. It makes you think of the story of the rich young ruler in Matthew 19. I'll paraphrase the story. The young man comes to Jesus, wants to follow Jesus. Jesus, being Jesus, knows what he loves more than anything. What he values and treasures more than anything. The man was very, very wealthy. So Jesus tells him, sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. The man goes away very sad because he had great wealth and he couldn't let it go. The man's treasure was his wealth, but for others of us, it's something else. It's boyfriend, girlfriend, relationship. It's hobby. It's, it's something else. But we have to let it go. You have to. You have to be willing. How do we seek his kingdom? By being the type of person that doesn't hold on to things close-handed like this, but being the type of person that holds on to things like that. Being the type of person that's characterized by the generosity of the Father, who you may remember, gives us the very best that he can. That, that should make it easier to hold on to it like this, because the very best thing that he could possibly give to us, he's already given to us. Should make it a little easier to, to stop holding on to things like this. Start holding on to things like this. Open hand. Right? That relationship doesn't work out. That's okay. God's still on his throne. That money, I, I'll be generous. I'll give that away. That's okay. It'll work out. God's, God, God's going to take care of me. I mean, after all, he, he takes care of the grass. He takes care of the lilies. He takes care of the birds. He's going to take care of me. I don't have to hold on to things like this. I can hold on to things open-handed like this. That's how you seek his kingdom, by being the type of person that's genera, that's characterized by the generosity of the Father. But that's tough. The world would say, you're insane. Man, say, you gave away that money? And you, you broke up with that girl? She was so fine. Like, what are you doing? Man, you're crazy. You're never gonna, I'm never going to meet someone like her or him again. And you're never going to find a job like that again. And you switch your major to that. <laughs> Good luck. I imagine that would be a pretty scary scenario for some people who don't know Jesus. My premise was, is you can't make this application has little to no bearing if you're not a Christian. But for those of you who are in Christ, this is great news. He takes care of the grass, of the lilies, of the birds. You're more valuable than it stands to reason. He's going to take care and provide for you as well. You don't have to be afraid. Furthermore, you've got a shepherd who knows your challenges, what you're going through. You, you know, some of you are going through some stuff. You haven't told anybody. That's okay. Your shepherd, he knows what you're going through right now, this week. And you've got a father who loves you so much and cares for you so deeply. And you've got a king who can get things done. Therefore, no fear. You don't have to be afraid. 
You don't have to have worry and anxiety run its course and run havoc in your life. You have a big God. Jesus' antidote for his disciples is not to give them some cheap Bible advice like, don't be afraid, just have more faith. Jesus' antidote is to show them how big their God is. So as the band comes, I'm going to pray that this sinks in to your lives right now. Lord, we love you. You are a good God. I'm so thankful for you. God, I need to hear this message just about every day. I thank you for for Luke 12. I thank you for this story, Lord. Lord, I pray for the heavy hearts in here tonight that these words would take root in their lives that they would not forget Luke 12, that perhaps some of them would decide to memorize Luke 12, to, to always be able to have this text, to preach it to themselves every day and to others. And I thank you, God, that you are so big. I thank you, God, that you are so big, so good, so great, so kind. So magnificent. I pray for us, Lord, that that you would protect us from temptation. The temptation to find our happiness, our joy, our security in everything other than you. But it would be in you alone, Jesus. Help us. Amen.